Welcome to the Fine Art of Coaching. Two friends and senior coaches across oceans, Anindita Das and Maureen Oven, invite you to join us on a close and honest exploration of organizational life that brings a deeper perspective on leadership and important issues of the day. I'm Anindita Das, a senior coach in Beijing, China. I work with individuals, groups and corporates to educate and effect real change from inside out. I'm Maureen Owen, an executive coach in Brisbane, Australia. I support leaders, teams and organizations to navigate change and to work with challenges. Today we have a, a special treat for you with a, um, a former boss of mine and a colleague of mine and a friend, Jane Morgan. And before we dive into the interview, I wanted to share with you just a little bit of Jane's amazing history. Jane is, um, I think really the thing that underlines her work is her passion for the potential and talent in people and connecting them to achieving business goals. She has over 30 years experience as a HR practitioner, an executive, a private consultant and a coach. She's worked across all levels of government in Australia and she really thrives and excels in connecting people to their talent and potential. So some of her areas of expertise and this is kind of really, I think, Jane, just the surface of, of what you bring. But Jane you know, has leadership in talent management, in transforming performance. She is an influencer and a coach, complex, complex systems thinker, a leader of innovation and continuous improvement, and absolutely passionate about championing equity and diversity and so it is with great pleasure today um, that we interview Jane and get to hear a little bit about her story um, as a leader. Yeah. Welcome Jane to the podcast. Oh it's a pleasure to be with you both. Jane tell us a little bit of your story and your personal um, call to adventure as a leader. Right. Well, yeah, I, I was struck by that first question. I thought, oh, goodness, okay, do I have a story? And then I hear you, Maureen, talk about my, I guess, work history and experience. And I guess it, looking backwards, it looks like a story. But I have to say, living, living it and getting to this point in my life, um, it didn't feel like a story at the time. I didn't, I wasn't, um, I was, I was people who, who, could, who career planned and, and knew where they were going next and in five years and 10 years. I was thinking about if it was a story, what sort of story would it be? And the two elements that came to my mind was I absolutely loved working for people who I could admire 
Um, so people who brought their full capacities to their job and made it more than what the organisation um, could envisage. So they were bigger. They were bigger than what they were employed to be. They were paid to be, I guess. Um, and I had the great fortune to work with over and over again people I deeply admired. And those periods of time. I just felt like I was learning so much about how to make things happen in, in an organisation in the world, how to relate to people, how to influence people. I got a lot of feedback from them, which I deeply appreciated, sort of, you know, so you're so raw and unfinished in your early stages of your career. Um, and I learned both things I wanted to be like and I learned things I was never going to do. And that's in the same person because none of us are perfect. So that's so I was always attracted. Doors would open. People would approach me about doing a job. And I've tried. I haven't always succeeded. But I have tried to say yes. I've tried when the door opened to go through. I remember um, um, back when my daughter was about... Uh, oh, she might have been 10, maybe a bit older. And um, I had only just got my driver's licence. So for some very, very many reasons, I hadn't bothered to get my driver's licence. So at this point, I had to get my licence for family reasons. And then I get offered this job to drive that requires driving all over Queensland, which, and indeed, there is quite a... We're a very spread out, rural and regional sort of space. Driving a car all over Queensland, I barely got my licence. So, and I could feel a part of me going, don't be stupid. And another part of me is going, oh, well, you'll be a pretty confident driver at the end of this. So I really appreciate, so when I think of my story, I feel like I've followed, I, I had the nous to follow great people. Not great as in famous. I mean, just awesome everyday people who were doing a really admirable job. I learned, I learned and I learned and I learned from them. Do you know, Jane, like listening to that, it really, um, I can see that you bring that quality in your leadership in work like that. To me, that describes the essence of what you try to bring out in people and the environments that you try to create and well, that's good to hear Maureen that's <laughs> good to hear again I, I'm not sure that you know I sort of planned it that way but it's certainly been a massive pleasure in my work to have um, to work in a in a team in a in a in a group just committed to growing so it's just it's even in jobs where I've not been particularly happy, you know, you get that in any job at various times. The pleasure of going into work every day, being connected with people. Even when you're in conflict, everyone's committed to keep growing and expanding what's being done and growing and expanding themselves. It's, and you get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Well, you know, it's it's such a pleasure to me. I do it voluntarily, 
But to actually find the two come together, oh, yes, that's a sort of, for me, that's as good as it gets work-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other threads, Jane, like, or are they the um, main ones? The other threads. Well, the only other thread is I, I don't know that I ever consciously thought of myself as a leader. However, we'll probably come to it. I think you're going to ask about challenges in the next bit, but they'll come to that. So I really value that um, other people saw that capacity in me and they created opportunities for me to refine it because it's pretty raw and <laughs> unpolished, um, probably still is really, um, but that people kept um, creating opportunities and being strong enough with me to push back at me, to like make me pay attention when what I was doing was um, pretty ordinary. Because we all are. I mean, being a leader, you're never, you're never going to get to that point. You're never going to be perfect. Um, it's really about learning how to have a to stand out and have a voice in the world in a way that assists either the purpose that you're focused on at the time and connects with the people around you. Um, so I have been reflecting since she said she wanted to have this chat, like what that that journey has been for me um, from, you know, entering the workplace. It's really interesting that you raise that, Jane, isn't it? And indeed, because we've spoken to other people who, that that's been a big part of their leadership journey too about other people seeing the potential in them and really fostering fostering body in them yeah yeah picking on this thread i would like to know from you jane as a leader now what would be the three qualities that you look for in your team members and what is that one thing that makes you pick a person as you know this one has potential or this one I would like to mentor? Um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that they, um, dem that, that I've got some evidence from what they're presenting to me or I know about them that tells me that they, they actively seek to learn and grow. It's not you know, words that they throw out in their resume or job application or whatever, like that there's evidence that they've got off their butt and they've put themselves in situations. And I don't just mean by this going to uni or something. I mean, that's a good thing to do, but it's only one stream of learning. Um, so I look so I'm particularly attracted in my selections, but with people who I can look at what they, the evidence they give to me saying, you want me in your group, 
Yeah. And that's the first thing I look for. So that's um, so some of my favourite interactions in an interview have been where I've said, so, you know, tell me about um, what what um, aspect of your functioning you're working on improving, strengthening or adding, and what are you doing about it? And I've had a couple of young men tell me that they didn't have any weaknesses <laughs> and that they were good to go. And I, I, could, I could feel the people on the panel with me just like internally, just I could feel them going, oh. <laughs> if you were on a quiz show, someone would have hit the red button. <laughs> they would have dropped through a hole in the floor. So, so that's that's the first one that comes to my mind, Anna Dita. Because mm. so I don't want to mother people. I've got a serious problem with people who expect, I don't know about a leader, but a manager to manage, to mother them. I mean, I think it's great if they go and get therapy for that, mm. but that's <laughs> not my role as a manager. Yeah. It's not my role as someone trying to achieve change in the organisation. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not keen on people being it's all, all nice for them. <laughs> yeah, but this makes me curious because I want to look at it from a gender perspective. Have you also had women who come to you and say, well, I'm, I'm perfect the way I am? And No, not yeah. one. No, that is surprising. Not right? one. <laughs> Not one in, I've, it's, I don't know, Maureen, it's a long time I've been working. Yeah. It's even quite a long time I've been, you know, selecting people for work, being the mother of graduates in a couple of organisations. No, so far, not a single one. Mm. Um, doesn't mean they're not there. Maybe they self-select out before applying for a job for me, with me. <laughs> It's just too hard to break that arrogance because no one's perfect. Like, I don't mean this in any critical way. I just expect people to be constantly um, saying, what's next, you know? What's the next thing I can grow in myself? What's the... Yeah. It's like, so I suppose I look for that excitement too, Anandita. I used, one of the things I used to regularly say in my work, in my, in my team, when people were getting a bit tired and worn out, was, look, we've got this short time to play in the sandpit. Like, we've got lots of opportunities here. I know, it, I know you can burn yourself out. Let's not do that. But let's not complain that the organisation's expecting so much of us because tomorrow they could... A new CEO, a new whatever, mm. it'll all be gone. We'll be kicked out of the sandpit, and the sandpit will be concreted over. So, how can we how can we survive this? But let's not get let's not get a fear of burnout stop us having fun. Yeah, like it was. Just, anyway, I used to often think about that in in the field I'm in, which is more on the you know people side of the organisation. Um, you know, and a wide diversity of aspects of that. You're always the first, you're always the first one to be cut. You're always the, it's always the hardest to keep what you're wanting in the foreground. So you just can't miss an opportunity. You just got to go right. Oh, so I won't get much sleep for a couple of days. Never mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm not suggesting burnout, but you know, 
Yeah, I'm sort of a bit more in these cycles. I, I am concerned at the moment in organisations that when I was younger, we used to have a rhythm. You know, you'd, you'd go for it and then there'd be a period, you'd, I don't know, say, you know, end of financial year was always a monster, mm. uh, end of the calendar year. But then you'd, you'd have like a, I don't know, three, four weeks where you could... But what I notice now with the clients who come to me, it's just normal. Now, I, I'm really concerned about the long-term, the short, well, short, medium, long-term consequences of, because I believe humans work in a rhythm. We don't, we're not androids. You don't just put a new battery pack in when we get flat. So I'm very concerned that I, my strategy back then might, might be problematic now because it never stops. Yeah. 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 So I'm not I'm not suggesting that to other people, but I just remember I just loved it. I always felt we were in this fantastic sand pit. And until people worked out what we were doing and wanted to control us, I thought, nah, let's go for it. Yeah. <laughs> You'd remember that, Maureen. You know. Absolutely. It wouldn't won't surprise you, Anne and Dita, to know that Jane has a reputation for for creating opportunities to do really interesting work. Mm. Yeah, and, and it was fun, you know, it's such fun to test out. I mean, I, I remember when um, one of my, they were also really, I just worked with the most fantastic people and he came up with this idea, he ran all our employment programs, you know, with lots of disadvantaged groups. And they were like, they're tough programs to make. And we were getting the best um, outcome results yeah, across Australia, you know. We, we were just getting extraordinary results. So he arrived at, he arrived at my, my um, desk one day and said, I've got a new idea. <laughs> I strapped myself in. He said, we're going to run an employment program for homeless people. Oh, oh. <laughs> I sort of found it was a bit hard to find words and we did and it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary experience. It was tough. It was hard. Oh, it just gave you hope for the future, really. Yeah. Anyway, that's sort of somewhat deviating, but, you know, that's I think what you mean, Maureen, like mm. to go for something that people just, they look down their, down their nose at you and go, oh, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was fun. Like that's what gets me up in the morning. I'm not great on just turning the wheels on the same old thing. What I'm hearing you say, Jane, is actually quite a lot of um, old-fashioned um, qualities that, that you expect out of your teammates right now, which is, you know, I heard you say work ethics, you work hard. You know, there's no need to, we're not talking about burnout, not that kind of hard, but work, show, show ethical um, presence when you're working. And then the other thing that I heard you looking for is humility. So someone, when someone comes to you and says, well, I don't need to improve in anything. I'm perfect as it, as it is, but it's missing for you is humility in that statement. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, th I think I, th I certainly admire that in people where they're, I think of it as their egos are in train. You know, they've got the reins on their ego. It, it, we all need an ego. Yeah. 
you know, if we want to do anything that's new, um, however, I think I often used to walk into, you know, high-level meetings with, you know, lots of people in suits. And um, I, I used to think, I'd, I'd feel it as I walked in the door, I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to fit in there? The egos are so huge. <laughs> it would feel like the room was just filled with these, I don't mean physically, but you know what I mean? Sort of like, oh, for goodness sake, guys, just put it all away. Anyway, yeah, so so I do admire that in people who who've worked hard to build their confidence in their self to believe they're good enough and we all I think most people people struggle with that however they haven't resolved that problem by getting arrogant letting their egos get away from them and and also the third thing that I that I heard you say is this this longing for you know provide help where help is needed so instead of doing push selling or push marketing or pushing things that yeah, I'm not great in that space, give help <laughs> to people that 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 really require help and bring your work ethic and humility into the picture. To me, your leadership style incorporates these three. Um, well, that's good to hear. Thank you for that summary. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful, and indeed, and um. As someone that, who has worked for Jane and someone like we work together now as colleagues running some um, programs and courses, um, I think I agree with your assessment. I think Jane, there are things that she excels in. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, another curiosity, Jane, looking at australia i'm saying australia because to me in my head living in beijing australia seems to me like you know it has the same work culture which is not true what i want to know is where you live and work um in work life what kind of challenges do ordinary people face not just leader leaders but you know the mid middle mid-level managers or even the frontline managers what kind of challenges do they face and what advice would you give them to overcome these challenges well i'll work off the experiences i'm having at the moment with people who come to me for coaching since i at the moment i'm not working in a in an organization the first thing that stands out for me is how isolated mm. the majority of people who, and that could be because they're coming to a coach. Like I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not claiming this generally, although my instinct is this is very relevant mm -hmm. um, across the board. So that's the first thing that comes to me that people uh, are standing up as strongly as they can. They're, um, the, all of the people that I've, I've encountered in the last couple of years are doing the, the, their very best to deliver what's asked of them and what they think needs to happen. And yet in themselves, despite working in organisations with people around them, inside themselves, they are alone, mm. like deeply, deeply alone and self-doubting. 
that, that in the systems they work in, there's not enough um, reflecting back of what they do achieve and what they do bring to the situation and the people around them and the clients. Um, that side is, is just minimised and then what they haven't yet done and what that you know what what more was expected of them um, is really maximized and in in the middle i think people go all right for quite a while I and mean, people can be very strong but there just comes a point where i think their will to live sort of abandons them a bit and i think that's human i i just i don't think we're designed to keep going in the face of um that we're, we're, we're no good, they you know, that, that's how I imagine that they, they get to a point where they feel, well, what, you know, what's the point? I'm clearly not good enough. Right. Um, uh, one client said to me recently, she's really had a tough, tough couple of years inside, in herself. She's doing quite well in her career, but in herself. And um, she, she she sat down in my, the room that I do my coaching in. She sat down on my couch and her whole body sort of melted back into the couch. Mm -hmm. And she looked over at me and she said, I feel so safe sitting here in this spot, Jane. And I'm like, oh, in myself, I thought, oh, my, isn't that shocking that, so, that there's so little you know good person she's a good human being she works hard she's clever she's and 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 she, she is not getting enough sense of safety support caring i think it's quite endemic at the moment i hmm, it's bit, i don't i try not to go into it too much in myself because i find it quite alarming but that would be the thing that stands out and it's a thing that can so be overcome yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not a it's some things you just think, oh my god, that's oh that's I don't know how we'd address that. But this one is about just creating workplaces where people feel connected. It doesn't have to be with a thousand people. Even one is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I, so I'm conscious of that. That and and I think the strongest people are the ones that are most at risk because they keep going a lot longer, way past what's good for their health and well-being. People who aren't as strong, I think, fall over earlier and probably are forced to come to some solutions for themselves, which, to be honest, I think often for an organisation are not great solutions, but I fully get why people choose to protect themselves rather than you know deliver what they're capable of but yeah um so that's the first thing that comes to my mind connection can if that's that's the big and increasing gap in my opinion um and the lack of safety yeah. the, I, and i mean that as a sort of internal psychological experience and I think it's it's a, it's a great contradiction at the very time where workplace health and safety in Australia, at least, and indeed, is like an industry. Mm -hmm. 
at the very time that sort of wheeled at risk management, I think people in themselves feel deeply unsafe because I don't think they feel seen for who they are, valued for who they are. I'm getting a bit philosophical here. I'm sorry. (laughs) Jane, like it stands in, it makes what you talked about earlier about the people that you most admire and what I see that you really foster in people about bringing their full selves forward in what they do to contribute to their organisation and the community that they're serving. It makes it so much harder, doesn't it, if you're... Well, you can't bring your full self forward if there's a chance it will be hurt. Yes, yeah. There has to be quite a level of safety for people to take that risk because it's one thing to be rejected and criticised and fired or whatever it is if you've been putting this um, mask up, you know, this, this front... If that gets attacked, and think who you are, it's hurtful. But yeah, oh well, you know. But if you've gone to work and you, you know, here I am, here I am, you know, here's all of me. I'm ready to rock and roll. Which, of course, they claim that's what they want. Yeah. And then that gets rejected. That's painful. That. Yeah. Some people never recover from it, you know, from my experience of ending up with them in a coaching relationship. They just, they they never feel they can open up again. Not everyone, but I think it's a long journey back from that. I think of it as like, you know, when a mollusk comes out of its shell, Mm -hmm. when it's in the shell, I mean, it can be injured, but meh. But if it risks coming out of its shell to grow a new shell from growing and, you know, being bigger and needing a new different shell, if it gets attacked at that point, it's dead. Like it's never going to come out of its shell ever, 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 ever again. So, yes, I I do feel that safety, that is except, you know, that you can make mistakes Everyone does. Someone sort of got your, they see you and they, they're still with you even though they can see all your flaws and, and your strengths. Yes. So I'm just conscious of the time, Jane, and we wanted to, because we could dive into this. It's such a rich topic. We could dive into it but uh, quite a long time. One of the things, putting that, um, I guess, just slot to the side, one of the things that Anandita and I are particularly interested in are the challenges that you've confronted as a leader that you've encountered along the way and what some of those have been. Well, I was, th- I was thinking about this. One that comes to my mind at the moment is... Right from when I was a young girl, I stood out. I actually don't know why. I I know you're going to think this is stupid. I don't know why I stand out. I always have. And so right from a young age, I had a voice. Didn't always, it often didn't serve me well, but I sort of felt like I sort of popped out this person, 
you know, a bit larger than life with a voice. And sure, the one of the so so a lot of women have to learn that. So I feel like okay, got that. I had that in the toolkit. But of course, the challenge for me, Maureen, is I then had to refine that because it was pretty confronting for a lot of people. And um, like you know, I remember I can remember the day I got it. I can remember standing there going, "Aha!" See, yeah, I've got a slightly thick skull, and indeed, so <laughs> it takes a big four B two to get my attention. Four B two is a big piece of wood in Australia. So I'm, I'm working, I'm not working in money terms for the union, I'm working in the federal public service and the union has me representing the union on uh, this national negotiating, negotiating permanent part-time work for women, basically. And so I was, I wasn't the expert industrial person, but I, you know, was the member who was a sort of bit of the face of it. And um so I was going to meetings and having men scream at me and yell at me and threaten me, sort of, how dare you? You're undermining the decades of um, achievements we've made, you know, against the man. Okay. Because for them, part-time work was undermining conditions. But for women, of course, Permanent part-time work was like gold. You just was none of that. We in Australia, there was no permanent part-time work for women. Well, for anyone, but it particularly affected women. And I remember I thought I had all the arguments. I was so confident in myself, so <laughs> arrogant in myself. I said intellectually, I had it I and I would I, you know, toe to toe, nose to nose with these guys and some women and have it out. And I was confident, but not fall to their knees with wonder at my argument that this was only way to go. And to my shock and horror, that sort of argumentation didn't change anybody. <laughs> it was such a shock to me. I said, I don't know why I didn't get it till then. It was such a shock because I knew their arguments were pathetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I couldn't, I couldn't get with the other side at all. We weren't as smart as me. Anyway, that's a great experience for me, and I really got that if you want to change things and you want to have a voice that can influence others, well, in a way that draws them towards what you want, as opposed to make them get out the um, gun and want to shoot you, was <laughs> that you had to learn to have a voice in connection with other people. I know this sounds like influencing 101, but it was a that was a revelation to me. Now, I'm not saying at that point I got good at it, but I got it. Mm. I fully got it. You could be right and achieve nothing. Right. So that's the first thing. With that thing, how do you um, advise to challenge the status quo if you're saying that you have the same voice, the ones that you want to challenge, but to join them. So how, how does one challenge yeah. the status quo and change when change is required, just not for the sake of change? Um, well, change is always required. Um, well, I, I think it's a really complex right. question. 
So to me now that I'm older, I mean, when I, when I was, you know, young and marching on the streets when Queensland was a police state, um, we were marching on the streets against apartheid and blah, blah, all that stuff. I, I didn't have, I just, you know, it just had to be hammered in. But now I, I realise that you firstly you've got to analyse the system because there are certain leverage points in any system that if you work with, I mean, because you need a number of people, one person can't work it all out. So to me, it's about finding the leverage points and then thinking about how, how can they best be stretched. So my fantasies when I was younger that, you know, you could have a march and then da-da, I've lost that. Mm-hmm. Do you think change is completely possible and needed? So leverage points, what are the leverage points? And sometimes you've got to walk away. You do all the analysis, you work it out, and you've tried this, and then you've got to, I should say, then you've got to experiment. Let's try this bit. Let's try that bit. That sort of worked. Oh, no, that's... And then you get to the end of it, and sometimes you have to go, well, we're wasting our time at this moment. Right. You know, come back and let's let's put this in the bottom drawer, come back. Yeah. It took me, in one organisation I worked, it took me five years. Every year, relentlessly, I brought it back. And then one year, ta-da, I don't know whether they just got sick of me mm-hmm. or whether it's the right time. So timing and who's in power and what the powers, all those systems, System analysis is crucial if you want your voice to do more than just bounce off the walls and cement in the very thing you're wanting to change. And the other thing I've worked at is do pilots. We got to the point where we never called anything anything but a pilot. It was mm-hmm. never a program. It was we just say, oh, let's do this little pilot here. Yeah. Ten years later, we're still calling it a pilot. So experiment, experiment, experiment. Is that what is called the beta version now? The what version? The beta version. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I've seen some companies going on permanent beta versions. It never Well, you know, maybe I'm just getting old, but beating my head against a wall is not as attractive to me as it used to be. And... um, I I hear you because, you know, we were talking about this early about people not having time to breathe. Yeah. And it just, you know, occurred to me that companies now focusing on scaling up constantly is in complete contrast to, you know, the ebb and flow of human being. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and again, now we are coming back to the beta versions of things yeah. so actually it's always a permanent beta version and it's always scaling up without giving any breathing space of or or well i guess finality. i guess they'll be very happy and indeed when they can replace us with androids mm. I, well i can only assume that that would that sort of fits with that worldview because humans are so frail in that type of system they are limited in time and space human beings and energy and yes who care like anyway yeah so so that that that's uh, that uh, yeah i mean it's a fantastic question and it's um 
that work you put in, thinking it through, and also not for too long. It's very not enough, have a, have a go. And often if it's small enough, you'll sneak it through. They won't even realise what's happening. Sorry, that's very naughty, but we did that quite a bit. <laughs> I was just about to say, and indeed it sounds like such a small comment, but um, my experience of Jane is that that, that is a, um, a key strategy mm -hmm. the way she works. Um, and you know, you know, a funny thing that happened because politicians are very, and, and often senior executives are often very affected by awards. Yeah, they love that public appellation. Uh, they do nothing for me except that I know they influence those people, those type of people. And, you know, we won lots of awards over the, you know, when we worked together, Maureen. Anyway, lots of awards over the decades. And, um, it was always a tricky point because the minute that something became really publicly recognised, all these other people would then want to be associated with it, which in the textbook you'd say, oh, isn't that great? All oh, that influence and power, that'll be a... And, yes, there was certainly some benefits from that, but I have to tell you, you knew from that point innovation would be ended. Because those people in the main wanted it to stay exactly the same. So you could no longer do that sort of cheeky, constant change. So as so in myself, I, as soon as that, as soon as the powerful people went, oh, I'll be associated with that, that's great. I'd go, okay, well, that's set in concrete for a while and we'd focus our energy. Well, I mean, we keep running it because you've got to get budget. It always struck me as an odd thing. The very thing in the textbooks they claim you've got to go and get, fantastic, most, you know, in part, and it, all these things have a shadow side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Jane, we're coming um, towards the end of our time together, and I'm wondering what's one last thing that you'd like to leave people with from our conversation today? Well, we sort of touched on it already. The, the one thing I would say, if anyone was going to listen to me, is you're not there just to look after others. It's not enough. Like, it's laudable, I get that. People get, you know, often get to love you and you get heaps of... It's very pleasurable when people appreciate what you do to look after them. And, and don't get me wrong, I've benefited from that myself a lot. But it's not enough. You have to, it's like, map into your life the way you function and how your life works that you need that back. You, you need to have people who accept you just for who you are, the flawed, imperfect, fabulous person that you happen to be at that point in your life journey and it can even if it's one person not so much I mean you know sometimes I work with people and they maybe got a partner who sort of fills that role which is great I always think that's great but to me a partner's role is to just 
just be there. Like, doesn't matter with how bad you are in the day, they just love you. You say, oh, so-and-so treated me badly, they're ready to go in. And, you know, I, I think they've got a different role. I'm meaning people around you who love you with all your faults and strengths and will be strong back with you and reflect back to you when you're going off the rails or that you've just done something really stupid but you've got enough trust and connection with them over time that you can let that in. Like it doesn't feel like someone's trying to kill you off, mm-hmm. even if it's one person. I mean, it's great if you've got more, but that that would be the one thing. If you want to survive in the organisational jungle of whatever, you know, system it is, that to me would be my one a bit of advice. Make sure you have a couple of people around you that don't even have to be in your workplace. It's good if they are, but and that you've got to you've got to make the effort to create those relationships and not be so critical of yourself and so judgmental of yourself that you don't think you're worth that sort of caring. It, it's a lot of women, and some men. A lot of women struggle with that. So I say don't isolate. You cannot be a leader alone. You you can't do it. Well, you'll do something, but it's not my version of a leader. So, Jane, looking at like what I'm hearing you say, so I'm checking this really, is you're really encouraging leaders to look after their own psychological safety. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I would make it, if I was queen of the world, I'd make it mandatory that people in senior roles at least or anyone who's looking up, you know, leading other people. I mean, you look at professional associations. I know that, you know, you can say that lots of people don't do it well, but they mandate professional supervision. Like to me, I just go, yeah, of course you would. Anyway, I know it's not done. Maureen knows I've banged on about this for probably <laughs> four decades and people still look at me like, you know, I'm asking them to give up their firstborn. But I just, it's crucial. I, can't, I just, I don't, I, didn't, I won't go on. Do not isolate is, is the point I'm making. Yes. Do not isolate. It is really toxic. And absolutely necessary if you're going to bring your full capacity to work. Yes. Yeah. Because a leader is only a human, it's a person. If you want to be a great manager, doesn't matter. I still think great managers still don't isolate. But if you want to go from being a manager, very look, very important role, and you want to add on to that that you're also a leader. Don't isolate. It's just toxic. Mm-hmm. Jane, we're, we're out of time. So I just wanted to thank you so much for your conversation with us today and sharing your, your, your thoughts. And My pleasure. I feel like um, you're still encouraging the revolution, Jane. Like, I feel that too. I was thinking that this morning as I was thinking about our talk. I thought, God, they haven't actually been able to beat the revolutionary out of you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. My pleasure. I hope to talk again soon. Same here. Bye. Bye.
Our next guest is Mitikarang co-founder Amit Jain, who gave up his dream job to open his own company. Thankfully, he had the full support of his mother, family, and his co-founder Saket Deshmukh. Don't forget to tune in to his story at Leadership Stories podcast next month.